Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I'm sharing a conversation I had a few weeks back with Grace Webb, inspired by their literary thesis about world-making and encounter that involves the archetype of a destabilizing figure, a person who lives inside of a different reality than the mainstream or consensus reality around them, and simply by existing and others encountering them, others are changed and destabilized. After hearing about their literary thesis around this archetype, it pinged some of the things I'd been reflecting on with the upcoming wave of Pluto and Aquarius. Within some of the teachings around Aquarius and its modern ruler Uranus, that we work with in evolutionary astrology, we also encounter unconventional or iconoclast figures and the various psychology and nuance of that figure and their social impact. It was actually learning this idea of the difference between consensus or individuated reality that was so important and meaningful for me in my early 20s to make the choice to create a new reality or inhabit a different reality and to have this idealistic vision too that it could not simply be more freeing and liberating for myself but that it could also have that impact for others who encountered me um but of course there's a lot more complexity around the archetype because you can be rebelling against the culture you can be against the culture you can be just kind of holding your own frequency like there's many different ways that we can go about being not of the consensus. Um, But this general line of thinking in terms of being more liberated or being more free, or even if that's not the intention, like not coming from that place, if one simply is already inhabiting a different kind of reality or a different kind of world than the mainstream, like really reflecting on that as something that can invite us to think about what Pluto and Aquarius as this upcoming transit might hold, right? Like we have this Lord of the underworld, Pluto, this deeper undercurrent, being in a sign Aquarius that has so much to do with the fringes or what's weird and also what's freeing and liberating. And here on Magic of the Spheres, we've been having some conversations and solo episodes lately about this upcoming 20-year transit of Pluto and Aquarius. And I considered this conversation with Grace Webb as a continuation of that. And we actually spent less time on the astrology and more on the experiential exploration of what it means to hold a different reality inside of oneself and what encounters, I really like the way Grace uses the word encounter too, what encounters between different worlds are like, whether we find ourselves to be the disruptor, the disrupted, or we find ourselves in a state of mutual destabilization. Grace offers a perspective on the romanticism of this archetype. When we speak of destabilization, it's not really meant here with a negative connotation, but more of an energetic of a willingness to experience new realities. As our conversation on this archetype developed, we also talked about how this applies to the individual pursuit of belonging versus seeking greater frontiers even if it's lonely at first. The concepts of cultural codependency versus writing our own scripts, as well as dating, romance, and alternate ways of relating. Grace Webb is a sexuality educator, facilitator, and writer living in New York City. They regularly host workshops on relational skill building, non-monogamy, and other sexual health topics. Grace is also passionate about working with youth and helping queer and trans youth to explore and share their stories. You can find them on their website, gracewebcreates.com, or on Instagram at graceweb. I will leave the spelling of the website and the Instagram handle in the show notes um, so that you can find and connect with Grace. And I'll leave you to our conversation now. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Grace Webb, and we're going to be sharing with you some messages about Aquarius, um, tapping into Pluto and Aquarius through 
the lens of literature um, existing on the margins and world building, world destroying. As I was um, last connecting with you, Grace, you shared with me some things about your thesis and I was totally lit up by it and felt like it connects so much to the themes of Aquarius and also that you're an Aquarius rising and definitely have that sensibility and that understanding. Um, and so I really wanted to have you on the show to talk about um, your research and your ideas and muse with you about this upcoming transit. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited. And for the listeners, um, I just invite you to share some things about yourself, um, your interests, studies, life as an Aquarius rising, anything you feel called to share. Sure. Um, so I am a sexuality educator and a writer and a facilitator. I do a lot of work with LGBTQ youth, both around um, delivering like very specifically LGBTQ inclusive sex ed and also helping LGBTQ youth really um, step into using their voices as activists and sharing their stories. Um, I also facilitate a lot about non-monogamy and just alternative ways of relating, uh, more so for adults there. Um, and I do a lot of writing um, and I live in New York City. Awesome. I feel the Aquarian in a lot of that as well. Um, yeah, and I think even themes of non-monogamy and alternate ways of relating is so much uh, deconstruction of what we've been taught culturally and yeah, living in a new way and all of the intricacy that goes into that. Yeah, yeah, it's so much deconstructing. I think sometimes people don't realize that it's a lot of unlearning and asking like, what do I actually want instead of, you know, what have I just been told that I want? Right. It has me thinking too about the nature of desire and like deconstructing our desires from like, what's a true desire that I actually have versus what's a cultural dream or a cultural myth that I've been, yeah, so steeped in that I associate it as my own. Yes. Yeah. And I think something that we'll kind of talk more about as we go on, but that that's, that's both fun and really scary <laughs> that it kind of holds those, you know, those poles of um, this sense of tapping into your own true desire feels amazing. And then, you know, there's a reason that we don't do that and just stick to our cultural narratives around desire. And that's because it's, it's really scary and it's really um, destabilizing. Right. It feels hard not to belong also. Mm -hmm. And then it's also hard to try to belong when we like truly are different mm. than the normative culture, uh, which I feel is so Aquarian, you know, to bring it back to that. But yes. um, yeah. And so this brings me to want to ask you what inspired, you know, what is your thesis and what inspired it? Sure. Yeah. So um, my thesis, I wrote it about two years ago now when I was in grad school for English at Columbia, um, really as a backdoor to do queer theory stuff. Um, so I wrote my thesis, um, Jack Halverson was my advisor, I like to name that. Um, and it really focuses on science fiction writing uh, by two black authors, Samuel Delaney and N.K. Jemison. Um, and I really wanted to explore both, you know, how science fiction really engages with, uh, you know, these ideas of queer theory and critical race theory, but also how these really specific figures in these two novels, novels really um, kind of hold this science fiction idea of world building and world destruction in their own, in their bodies and in their, in their fields and how they become these strange, almost alien figures and what that means to the people who are interacting with them. So I really just read these two books and was fascinated, felt these similarities. Um, and I, I love science fiction. So it was really fun to, um, to really dive in and write about that. Amazing. Yeah, I really, you know, this idea of like someone who alters the world around them just by being themselves or holding a reality within them that is different than the one around them um, reminds me of something that I had learned when I first started practicing astrology, which is this thing around Aquarius specifically and Uranus of um, it's people that 
operate in the fringes um, of culture that start to stretch the culture past its existing paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a complex place to be operating, um, you know, in the sense that it does suggest not belonging or not having like the same, I guess, like connections or resources or footing in the world. And yet these are also people, these are also figures or energies that drive the culture in different directions or drive the culture forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I would just love to hear more about this archetype from your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you said that because I completely agree. I think especially in these two books that I was looking at, it became really important to highlight that these figures at the center of the novel, these Aquarian alien figures came to their kind of like world building, world destroying perspective that they carry with them because of really intense violence in both of their cases, really extreme marginalization. And yeah, I think exactly what you said that this perspective often comes from being on the margins, from seeing things about the world that other people, um, you know, who are more in the center, more centered in a culture might not, might not be able to see. So world building is really tied to um, noticing, like, what, what are you seeing in the world that other people can't see? Um, And something else that I love in what you said is that um, I think that with with these figures specifically, often the the drive around cultural change it's not often like a um, a conscious or like a forward moving drive. It can be it can be like I want to change the world in this way, and so I'm going to take action. But a lot of the times, it's just a movement through the world without you know that sense of singular drive or action that is really destabilizing for the world around them it's something and that's what i was fascinated by i think it feels seems to be something that um these very aquarian figures just carry with them as an essence and in in their movement through the world and in their interaction with others is where the change happens Hmm. Can you describe the characters that you were focusing on? Yeah, yeah, sure. I feel like it's always so hard with science fiction. You know, it's like there's these worlds and really complex plots. But yeah, um, just to be to be brief, um, both of the fig- the central figures in these novels are figures who um, come from really marginalized groups, um, really oppressed groups, and. Um, in Delaney's novel, the main figure um, is a slave who ends up being the only survivor of like a catastrophe that destroys his whole planet. Um, so he's he's a very disabled figure and he goes to other worlds then and um, his his perspective, his point of view ends up being extremely destabilizing for all of these other worlds. So he's a figure that kind of carries this destruction with him to all the other places that he goes. Um, And the other novel I was looking at, The Fifth Season, um, is a figure who is slightly more more active in his desire to change the world. Um, He is part of an oppressed group as well, um, and an oppressed group who has a connection to the earth that none of the other um, characters in the novel have. And so he ends up Um, using that perspective that comes from being connected to the earth and being able to move the earth um, to eventually rupture his civilization. So both of these characters end up being really um, destructive forces, one of them consciously and the other just through just through moving through the world. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I feel like you were drawing a lot on these characters in relationship and like how the act of meeting another person who carries this other frequency is a destabilizing energy. Can you say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty central to both novels. And I think that that's what really fascinated me about them that, um, I am really interested in how to, I guess, how to come with what I call an encounter with somebody who, sees the world in an extremely different way than you do and in a way that will be or could be destabilizing to your 
your sense of self, your sense of identity, your sense of yourself as a stable person in a stable world. Um, and I think that that's something that's really interesting, both from, um, I guess, just a one-on-one -on -one perspective, being willing to be open to that kind of almost like a self-shattering. Um, and then I think politically, it's really interesting, you know, how do we engage with uh, people whose experiences because of marginalization or because of life experience hold a perspective that might be really uncomfortable for us or might be, yeah, again, like shattering to the stable world that we we think we live in. Um, and how do we have enough um, presence and openness to hear what they have to say and to take in their perspective? Right. Yeah. So this sense that um, it's not just about experiencing other perspectives when we meet someone who lives in this other reality or this like altered reality, one that's different from ours, mm -hmm. um, but that it actually does like change the self, mm -hmm. destabilize the self. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too about the act of being the person who is the destabilizer, you know, or what it's like to you know, because I, one way that I can, you know, relate to it, I suppose, was studying astrology and like the beginning of starting to tell people like, oh, I'm an astrologer and people thinking that was really weird. Like currently it's not destabilizing. I can tell people that and they're like, oh, great. And it's not that big of a deal. But when I first started, it was like, um, brought a lot of intense or varied reactions from people. And I remember just feeling like, oh, I'm entering a space and people that encounter me either think I'm really weird or like she must be delusional or a few months go by and now they're studying astrology and they're inspired and it's like shifted their world. So I started to see that like if I could hold my um, truth and just be in it, that I was able to um, allow the world around me to destabilize more than I would cave into just fitting in. Oh, um, yeah. I love that. Um, and so do you think, I'm curious, do you think that you experience less of that maybe like outer destabilization now because you're holding more of an inner, um, peace or calm? I think so. And I also think the culture has changed. Mm -hmm. Like astrology became really popular. And I think that I was on like a wave of that. Um, but I do think it's also, you know, I think there is the reflection because I noticed this too um, <clears throat> with like any part of myself that maybe I'm not in full approval of or I have shame around, like the more that I'm able to claim it and be like at a rest, like nervous system state with it that I can express it in the world and have like more of a connected result with other people. But if I'm internally in disarray about it, I get the same type of reflection often from the outer world. Yeah, I completely agree. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, I think to your question, a couple of things. One, I think astrology is a really good example because um, with, with these figures, um, living in different worlds, one thing that um, I was really interested in is that the temporalities of those worlds are often different. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about like queer temporalities or crypt temporalities. And I think with astrology, there's a similar sense of living in a different temporality. You're living on the planet's time and you're living kind of, you know, on cycles or, you know, timelines that maybe people around you are not so aware of. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I really love how that kind of brings this sense of um, being in kind of like a different time and space than the world around you, being a little bit off kilter or destabilized maybe from other people that you're talking to. Um, and then, yeah, I think I really liked how you said that you could feel that, um, you know, you share with someone that you're an astrologer and they're kind of destabilized. And then a month or two later, they're, you know, listening to a podcast or practicing astrology that that I think that's a really good example of that, like initial destabilization. And then if somebody is, I guess, both interested and then willing to be a little bit destabilized and be like, wait, what what is happening up there with the, the moon? And, you know, then they are kind of you're kind of bringing them on their own time 
and if they're interested into into that world with you. So yeah, I think it's a great example. Um, but I agree that it's hard to be the one doing the destabilizing. Um, it's it is it's hard to be the one who's holding that. I live in sort of a different world and um reality is something that as a culture we care about so much we care so much about having the same definition and experience of reality and so when somebody is living in a slightly different reality and noticing slightly different things about the world um yeah people really don't like that sometimes (laughs) (laughs) that's a really interesting way to put it of like we as a culture care so much about reality and having the same reality Mm -hmm. um that just sparks a lot for me because like, yeah, our shared reality as a culture is um, in a large part a construction. Yeah. You know, I think there is like natural, like there is truth in nature, et cetera. And then there's also just a lot of like stuff that we see as real or normal that we take for granted. That was a cultural invention at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, I guess, yeah, the idea of contesting realities or like different realities and what you're saying too about like what people are noticing. Um, Yeah, can you share more about that too? Like the observational like part of. Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, Yeah, I loved um, the fifth season in my thesis did a really good job of talking about that of um it it described how in the sky there were all these strange celestial bodies um and no one really knew what they were but because no one was asking those questions it was just kind of part of the reality to be like oh they're just there we don't really know people almost didn't notice them and they didn't notice when they started to move and they started to do really strange things in the sky it just wasn't it wasn't part of their reality to be paying attention to these really strange celestial bodies. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that sense of reality is, yeah, like you said, some of reality is really real, nature is real, but some of reality is really shaped by what, as a culture, are we all agreeing to notice? What are we all agreeing to um, pretend is real? I think a really good example that, um, again, my thesis was really looking at is the idea of like what it means to be like a stable human and that very Western enlightenment idea of like we are, we are rational beings. We are in a, in a body that is, is bounded, um, you know, and how much of our world gets defined by who meets the threshold for human and who is dehumanized and um, called other than human. Um, You know, and now we know like our bodies have billions of bacteria, microbes, things are crawling around. Maybe, you know, some people are talking to spirits. Some people are talking to trees. Their, Their experience of what it means to be a human, what it means to be in a body is, is really, really different than, um, the agreed upon reality of like, we are just a mind, you know, connected to a meat suit. Right. It gives me, you know, an idea around say people that are connected to the land are talking to land spirits or like building a reciprocal relationship with the earth versus like a company or an industry who wants to come into that place and harvest those uh, trees or resources for their own aims. And the ways that um, some of the mechanisms to be able to, say, like contest those business plans Mm -hmm. happen in a certain register, a certain language, a certain like, you know, you have to be in the system Mm -hmm. or you can alter the system in other ways. Like some people infiltrate the system to change it from the inside and other people change the culture more by maybe like holding the gravity or the pull, say, in this example of like communication with the land, like a person or a community that's inspiring other people to awaken to the land in that way, as opposed to trying to go into the government and get into the legislature and change the, you know, like there's different pathways. um, But the ways that power is um, expressed differently through those pathways also. Yeah, yeah. I was reading a really neat book recently called Ways of Being that was talking about um, 
yeah, just a really similar idea about how how we define a human who counts as having rights. And um, yeah, like you were saying, like trees can't sue, you know, the company that's trying to take them down. But um, what does it mean to like try to bring a case for a group of trees? You know, how does that maybe like shift who we think about as having, you know, quote unquote, human rights? Um, and yeah, who gets represented? Um, yeah, right now we don't think the trees are are real in a sense of um, having rights or interests, but um, yeah, that could change. And the ways that we make that change are, are really, really interesting. Yeah, and you were sharing too that you've um, connected these ideas to the gene keys mm-hmm. and specifically this one, um, the 26th, Gene Key, can you share um, what that one is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the 26 Gene Key, um, the city really is what um, connected for me to this idea. Um, and it's called the City of Invisibility. Um, and I, I pulled a oh, little for bit. For people who are listening, by the <laughs> way, the Gene Keys, um, I have a book here by Richard Rudd, but he'll go into the shadows and then the city is like not city like town but like s-i-d-h-i and it's like a spiritual gift that emerges um but yeah just a plug a recommendation for people that the gene keys are like really amazing contemplations okay yeah i can read from um the 26th if if you want yeah um yeah so this is what i pulled that really was resonating for me Um, To dance with the 26 city is to let go of all agendas. Such people are invisible in a way that most cannot understand. They are invisible because they do not care what others project on them. They do not seek to enlighten anyone. They do not really want to influence anyone at all. They truly have no agenda. They are simply here as loose cogs within the machinery of existence. They love to defy the laws we humans cling to. They are tricksters who love to twist and turn in the currents of existence for no reason other than that, that, than that they can. Ironically, such people with no agenda have often left the greatest mark on the history of our consciousness. Because we cannot pin them down, because we cannot understand them with our minds, we either have to reject them or laugh with them. Laughter is the true legacy of the 26th city. Their laughter peals like an endless string of bells through the great tin of our field of existence. I don't know if I said that last part right. It's not a phrase I'm super familiar with, um, but the what I, feels, I was like, yeah, what is yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> he like very, very briefly explains it earlier, but not, not very well, honestly. Um, but what I really loved about that is that sense of, um, these people that are not, they're not really here to enlighten anyone. They're not really trying to influence anyone. They're just kind of moving through the world. They're moving through the field. Um, and in that movement, in that sense of, I'm not, I'm not trying to enlighten you. I'm not trying to change your mind. This is, I'm just moving. Um, Actually great change comes from that. Um, And I think that's really what I felt with these literary figures that I was writing about that just their presence is so disruptive because of the way that they're living and the place that they're living from is just so radically different. Hmm. Yeah, when I was looking over this um, Gene Key, there was even, he was making a connection to like marketing Mm -hmm. and the sense of like a person who's representing either themselves or an idea and that in order to represent it, they need to be in the limelight. And yet there's this simultaneous indifference. Um, They're like just being themselves, but then in that they end up kind of promoting something. Um, And then when it gets to the trickster, it's like they're just, there's that detachment, but they end up revealing like other facets of reality that people might then be invited into, Um, which I think is really, it's so opposite of having like a very um, strict agenda of like, I want people to understand this, or I want, you know, to have this kind of impact. And there's almost like a relaxation into, you know, when I think of Aquarius, one of the higher themes of it is like, just pure, like authenticity. Mm -hmm. It's like just being uh, in touch with one's own nature and moving that through the world. Um, And 
it ends up having this kind of magnetic and repulsive effect on the environment mm-hmm. in terms of inspiring, confounding, repelling, like it has a, an impact mm-hmm. inherently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I okay. just think it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of complexity around holding that, like being that person, but then also having the skills to, um, or the soft enough ego or the permeable enough ego to be influenced by that when we see it around us in terms of, yeah, feeling um, inspired, triggered, activated, et cetera, um, by the worlds of other people. Yeah, I love, I love that. Um, I love magnetic as a phrase, the way you used it there, that it can be really attractive or really, you know, it can really repel people. Um, and yeah, I think I've definitely noticed for myself the times when I have been in that um, that state of wanting the world to be different from like a place of um, hurt or upset or loneliness or like, you know, I want other people to be on board with this thing I want to do and it hurts me that they're not and it hurts me that they don't see this vision or, you know, they don't want it. Um, and, you know, from that space, nobody, nobody wants to hang out in that space with you. Um, it's, it's not, you know, it is a little repellent in a, in a magnetic sense. Um, and I can tell the difference between that and, and a much more, okay, I'm just going to hang out in this space, in this world that I want to hang out in. Um, and other people find that much more interesting and much more attractive. Um, and yeah, I think it is a very a very Aquarian thing that um, they maybe sometimes shine when they're not trying to. And um, that the limelight is both a place where um, people can be so attracted to them. And then um, like you were saying earlier, you do have to be able to hold that other pole of some people are really not going to like this. And, um, and what does that mean? Um, Yeah. And I'm curious if you've um, experienced any of that as well, or resonate with any of that, just based on what you shared about being someone who um, also in some ways holds a bit of a different world. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that like side of it and that, yeah, the angst or that goes into it of wanting, you know, that connection and feeling the isolation because I actually do relate to this a lot just in terms of um, I think that one way to look at belonging is like cultural codependency. Mm. That's like a a tilted or tinted view. But I think about Mm. there's just been different junctures in my life where I see a fork in the road of like, I could do this thing that I feel really called to and feel excited by, but I think it's going to make me more isolated in Mm -hmm. some way and like thin the pool of people that I could like, you know, quote, relate to. Mm -hmm. But I can't just stay behind either. And so I keep choosing the frontier, choosing the exciting thing. But what I find really lonely about it or challenging about it is like um, one place that I could see it showing up is in like uh, romance or dating, right? Or it's like you do want to connect with someone and then these like little things or programs come in. Like um, I see this with friends as well where like my friends that have done like a lot of internal dismantling of like how they're tied into the culture the cultural unconscious and the more that they individuate that it becomes more enriching to truly relate to people but also like maybe harder to find you know your people or you end up finding them just by being yourself but it's frustrating when you like start to dance around someone, start to get to know someone. And you see that like the programs of consciousness that you two are running are incompatible and it's not, you know, and it's just like, ouch, I wish we could relate, but they haven't like, you know, this other person hasn't totally dismantled this part of their worldview. And I don't know if I want to be the one to take them on that descent. (laughs) I don't know if we have the resources to accomplish that together. You know, and I just see that being a different, struggle than someone who is more conventional and falls into more conventional uh, paths of courtship and uh, courtship rituals and relationship rituals. Like that's already set up. Um, And people find their own dissatisfaction and loneliness in that too. Mm -hmm. I just, 
Yeah. 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 I completely agree. I like have a joke that at this point, like dating me comes with like a checklist. Like you have to cross all these, all these things um, to get a first date. Um, but yeah, I really, um, first of all, I love that um, cultural codependency. That's really, um, wow. And yeah, I think so for me, I, I found that when I was really um, digging into these concepts, it got like, it started to feel really deeply romantic to me. Um, and first of all, I think you're right that um, deciding that you want to do something that is different, it's it's really lonely. Like it just is, especially at the beginning. Um, and you're choosing between that kind of loneliness or the loneliness of deciding okay I still want to belong to um the culture's way of doing things like that's its own kind of loneliness um so I always feel like I am kind of choosing between you know which one is going to feel worse um and yeah same I end up (laughs) you end up picking the the frontier one and then you hope you're only lonely for a little bit and then yeah you find the other people who are there too um but yeah when I was Doing this work, I started to really think about how um, how romantic a true encounter of those kinds that we've been kind of talking about is. Um, and I kind of describe it as the difference between like when you're sitting down, when you're sitting down to lunch with a friend and maybe you're catching up and you're talking about like this is what I've been doing and this is what they've been doing and you know you're kind of going back and forth but you're not really like touching in and and connecting. You're not, you don't have quite that same like openness to being changed. And then this, this other sense of encounter is when where you are showing up with a willingness to be destabilized, to be a little bit uncomfortable, to step into somebody else's world or to kind of meet in the middle and decide to experience a world together. Um, I think that always feels to me like a very present moment experience, a, a sense of like we are we are creating a world right now. I'm so open to whatever you are sharing that I'm willing to let it let it shift me. Um, and I think that that really has come to like be my definition of of romance of any kind with friends, with someone on the street, with romantic partners. Like, am I willing to be changed and be a little bit destabilized and is that other person willing to meet me there thanks for bringing in the romance because it's interesting like aquarius and leo are a polarity and we think of leo as like the romantic frequency in some sense but aquarius is also deeply romantic or has you know that connection to it and i love this um I mean, it sounds like a deep receptivity mm-hmm. and creativity um, and that you're not just, yeah, meeting someone. At, <laughs> I love that example of just yeah. kind of going back and forth and you're not really entering each other's worlds versus when you do actually like enter another world um, or you invite someone into yours or you're invited into theirs or a third thing is created. But the ways that it's not um, it's not a stable place that the ego has already been. Mm-hmm. It's something destabilizing by nature and there's a surrender there's like a there is a romance in that I just love that perspective yeah yeah I um yeah creative I love I love that you use that word it is it's creative it's world creative um and I think especially yeah for people who are often kind of creating worlds on their own by themselves um it's really it's really exhilarating and really powerful to um be able to like step into a space where you're um, co-creating that with somebody else. And I think that could either just be like an incredible conversation, you know, exploring a city or a town or probably like artistic creation, literal artistic creation could probably go in there as well. Yeah. How does this end up weaving into, um, your experiences or what you teach around like alternative relating non-monogamy? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, I think a lot of what you were saying earlier really resonates with that, that when you when you decide to 
relate differently. You are kind of being in your own world a little bit. Um, and uh, I don't know, nor I don't, <laughs> words, words get really hard here because we don't really have great words for all of this. But I guess like normal cultural dating, um, there is a script. You kind of come in with expectations of what somebody else wants. Um, and they come in with expectations of, you know, what they think you want. Um, and when you're not doing that kind of everything is off the table and you have to figure out, like we were talking about at the beginning, is this, is this a true desire that I have? What do I really want? Um, and especially if you don't think that's going to line up with what somebody else wants, it's really scary. Um, and I think the biggest way that this has shown up for me in the most destabilizing way is even, um, you know, not just moving more towards non-monogamous relationships, but even moving out of um, centering romantic relationships in my life. Um, and mm. that is world creating. Absolutely. We don't even have words for um, really deep, you know, life supporting friendships or the people who are, you know, always a little bit between friends and romantic partners or, you know, building a life with your friends in the way that you usually would with a romantic partner or, you know, with a creative partner, maybe we don't, we don't have words for that. And, um, you know, I think where science fiction becomes so cool is that it's about giving language to something. It's about like, um, bringing a strange different world down into like the rea the reality of language. Um, and that's something that I feel like a lot of people are doing right now with with relationships is really building something that we don't have a cultural script for um, and we don't have cultural recognition for. And that part I think is, is really hard, but it's also fun. Wow. Yeah. That um, part about decentering romance and romantic relationships really sparked something for me. Um, it's like I went traveling this summer inspired just to visit particular friends. And then I built like a whole trip around it, but I felt like, it was romantic to me to like go on these trips and vacations with my friends. And like those connections are so important to me. And like, there's a way that over the years we keep deepening these friendships and going through initiations or just like being a support for each other in a way that feels extremely compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that just kind of naturally arose for me, but there has been like a, a sobering up from the fairy tale romantic dream, which I still have an affinity to with all my Pisces placements of like that deep kind of soul, psychic, magical love. Mm -hmm. But I think um, there's a way that I've had to learn over the years that if I don't also like prioritize or make space for all these kinds of connections and my friends that I'm not fully myself or I'm not like fully in the you know, even just the amount of love that I imagine that I crave from like the one mm -hmm. is a lot to place on one person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have like a whole network or a community or a more decentralized web of connections just feels like really, really magical. And it just it contrasts normal like cultural scripts. It reminds me of being like in high school or middle school and having a friend that I hung out with every day. <laughs> until they got a boyfriend and now, you know, something dramatically changed, you know, and it was like being demoted and that doesn't really happen anymore. It's like my friends, we go in and out of romantic connections, but it doesn't seem to really destabilize our friendship mm. in the way that it did in like middle school or whatever, you know? And I don't think that was just youth. I think it was also like the whole idea culturally of like who's important mm -hmm. and what's priority and yeah. That's so funny. I love that. Um, it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I'm curious if you if you want to say more about that. I've always yeah, I've never been like, yeah, Aquarius over here. I've never been the like deep like I want to find the one I want. I want that like soul soul connection. Um, I've never had that. So I felt like it's been it's been very easy for me to just click over to like, okay, we're open relating now, you know, importance can really be shared, lives can be shared. So I'm curious if you would want to share like how, um, I don't know how it felt to move, move over for someone who does have a much more like Piscean love desire. Yeah, I appreciate. Thanks for asking me all these yeah. questions. That doesn't always happen when I have someone on for an interview and 
I'm always touched. But um, I, I think that I, I realized eventually that I had a relationship with like an audience. Like there was one, um, and it was an audience that didn't even exist yet. And I found out because I had these two. Um, I considered them best friends. I adored them. I was like, had all this love that I had poured, you know, toward them. And during the course of my friendship with them, I got the download for um, astrology. Like I had this whole astrological awakening and I didn't have a lot of balance or skill yet in navigating that type of energy and awakening in my friendships. I wanted to compare everything to their charts all the time and they were you know, they had ideas and like resistances to that. They didn't like it. Um, and I also had this, you know, I didn't grow up with religion at all. Like it's not um, something that was like a part of my conditioning or trauma or anything like that. And I had these Mormon missionaries knock on my door and I was curious, like not for the sake of actually converting, but I was writing a novel and one of the characters had grown up Mormon. And I was like, this is perfect research for my book. And so <laughs> I invited the missionaries in and I had anticipated my projection, my judgment beforehand. I thought they would be delusional and that their reality wasn't real. Mm. But I was shocked to find out that like, I too was having mystical experiences <laughs> with Jesus, Heavenly Father, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Speak of destabilizing oh figures, God, by the way. <laughs> such a weird example. That's hilarious. Yeah. And I was just like not, you know, had no interest in converting. I really felt that the structure of their belief system, like how much anything outside of it was like Satan tricking you or like, you know, that I was like, that's that's not great. In my opinion, like I really want to have, you know, I understand from a, my studies of Neptune and astrology and reincarnation, like I had a way of like being like, they'll just keep reincarnating until they stop being religious. And they're like, you'll go to purgatory until you finish reading the Book of Mormon. Oh my God. And it's just like, we both had this silly way of just like cosmologically understanding the other. But I was really, um, yeah, really into this experience. And when I was telling my two best friends about all my metaphysical awakenings, it was too much for them. They were creeped out. They're like, why is she so excited about Mormonism? Like, she's not even like become like, I just don't think they understood what the fuck I was doing, you know? And so they both um, kind of just like ghosted. They didn't tell me, you know, I like found out later that they just thought I was too intense and after that, I just felt I had this like anger and this like spark that came through in that moment of like, I'll just befriend the world instead. Mm. Like, mm. and there was something about creating a more open door life where it's like I could share my ideas about philosophy, cosmology, astrology, anything on the internet and people could come and go as they pleased. And I wouldn't have to be attached to like two people being my beloved audience, you know? So there was something about that. Like, I think it was really my attachment and disillusionment to particular people that I expected to be in my life in a certain way that just really had me like shatter that and go way out and be like, maybe I'm open to having relationships with thousands of people who are like, in my audience and I connect with them in various ways or, um, and that just felt, I remember feeling into it as like, this isn't just a trauma response. I'm not just compensating. I think maybe there's a reality that the type of love or connection or intellectual camaraderie that I was searching for really needed to be diffused with a bigger group of people. Mm. Um, and similar things have happened with my relationship with romance and partnership is just that the more um, attachment wounding that I've brought into like relationships with one particular person, I, yeah, I used to get so fixated and I started to develop more of my own interests, hobbies, life as a way of like, I can't fixate on one person because it repels them and then they might leave me and then I have nothing. Mm -hmm. So it started out pragmatic maybe, but as time went on, I realized, oh, it's healthier. I actually love it. I love all these connections. 
it's more important to me to have an ecosystem and a network than it is to like hold on to a lifeboat for dear life with the one person that I'm obsessed with, you know? Mm. Oh my gosh. All of that was so beautiful. Wow. I love, yeah, we should come back to that, um, that really funny and cool Mormon example. The Mormon thing. Reality (laughs) meeting. Um, But... (laughs) But yeah, I really love what you said about, I don't know, just this idea of like um, diffusing out what you put into one person into um, into the world or into an online audience um, and being able to, um, I don't know, I think the idea of like what you receive back is is so interesting because I think that, you know, when, when you're just relating to one person, it's really obvious and easy to see like, this is what I'm receiving back from them. It's so direct. But I think probably when you're relating more diffusely to the world um you I'm curious what you think about this I think you probably have to be a little bit more um a little bit you have to like look for how the world is relating back to you I guess like um it's not so obvious you probably have to be a little bit more like oh okay how is the world loving me back right now how is the world talking back to me like a like a lover would um I don't know does that make sense yeah yeah that's so insightful and I think um there's a freedom like it it feels to me like I'm just also imagining people that um have started to kind of awaken to something that's outside of the normal construct of their community. And that when they go to particular people, they're like, no, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. But that if you broaden your network, you'll find people that relate to you. Um, And, you know, I guess it's not perfect when I say that, because you can be very far out in some kind of like radical, like, not great worldview and Mm -hmm. find people that connect to it. And the internet has, you know, it's magic and it's shadow as well. Mm. Um, But I do think, yeah, like the, the people that are mirroring us immediately may not always resonate or understand. And if we're limited to those reflections only, then that's the world that we're going to exist inside of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, mm, yes, I think that really resonates. I think with my experience, I grew up in a pretty small conservative place. And, um, when I left it really, I, I had a lot of mind blowing. This is what the world is. Wait, the world is this exists in the world and this exists in the world. And yeah, I think that sense that like the world is shaped by, um, your experience so if you live somewhere um with a really strong sense a really strong united worldview that is your world um and what it means to expand your world and to take in more things and I think to really just generate a larger concept of um of possibility um is that is world building and it is world creation um and I think something that maybe has been underneath this conversation but hasn't quite been said is that this sense of like world destruction world creation um is both an acceptance of um you know this is what the world is right now um it's not denying it or um you know often these figures have a really um a really like realistic sense of like the violence that the world holds but the world building part is just saying yes, this is what the world is right now, but there is, these are not the only set of possibilities. Um, There are other ways outside of what is currently in our reality and how you bring those in is starting to move as if they already exist. Um, Mm. Yeah. Starting to move as if they already exist. Wow. Like, so you're like channeling it basically and bringing it Mm -hmm. into, there's like an integration I feel in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I think just <laughs> to go back to your Mormon example, I just, I think it's so funny. First of all, this like um, person with a really astrological view of the world and these Mormons kind of both having an, you did have an encounter, like you were extremely open to um, the things that they were saying. These 
two really, really different worlds meeting. Um, but I guess, I don't know. I think it also just helps to maybe temper everything we're talking about a little bit. That oh, like, yeah. You know, you it's don't funny. need to around they... picking up every, every world that everybody holds inside. <laughs> Right. I was it was a perfect time in life to do that. But it's interesting, too, because I I went deep into the experiment with them. I like prayed with them. I went to the church because um, I was collecting information for my book, really. But I was also open and they had an aura like they really were very aligned with their own spiritual thing. So one thing that I had told them, they had these like little plastic cups at the church for like whatever they were, I don't know if sacrament or something. And I was just like, that's kind of like wasteful. Like, what about something reusable? And the missionaries went to their higher ups and brought that feedback to them. (laughs) And I was like, thought it was really cute that they were like, so sincerely like taking in that feedback and like, wow, like maybe we should be more eco-friendly. And um, yeah, I didn't talk to them about astrology or anything. But I have, you know, I talked to a Christian woman on a plane one time about astrology, and she was really triggered at first. But then by the end of the conversation, she's like, maybe God put the planets there for a reason, you know? And I think I actually, I had so much space back at that time in my life to be um, the weird astrologer and like enter into conversations with people. And then I think as time went on, I found more and more of my community and I didn't have to do that as much. Mm. Mm. Um, And so sometimes I think too about the like mental plasticity and like nervous system plasticity of like, you know, some people that I know who are like really amazing healers live in communities where they're like the weird one. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a a gift that people really um, build inside of themselves when they grow stable being the unstate like you know stable being the one who's holding a different reality in a space mm-hmm. um versus like the types of opportunities for inner strength that aren't built the fragility potentially as well when we fit in and we don't know any different oh yeah wow yeah and i think um often that does tend to be figures um, people who can be like the strange, the really strange one or people, I don't know. I'm just thinking about, um, figures who are really, really, really grounded in either like a religious tradition or, um, you know, some kind of other spiritual tradition. It tends to be people who are really, really grounded in their own worldview that can then, you know, talk to an astrologer on a plane and be so open to it or, um, you know, hear about somebody else's religion and, and be, you know, fascinated and able to like integrate and take feedback um, that they, I don't know, there's just a calmness, I think, that comes from being so grounded in, um, in your own worldview that it lets you be open to an encounter. Um, and yeah, I think um, what you said about the end there about, yeah, the fragility of, of having always had an experience of belonging. Yeah, I think that people who grew up on the margins, um, who didn't grow up feeling like they belonged, often I think do have an easier time with, um, yeah, different worldviews or being a little bit weird or, um, integrating, you know, things that are different from their experience. And if you haven't grown up with that, um, it can be, I think, really destabilizing. Right. Well, you were writing your thesis. Um, how were you feeling connected to like the muses and you know was there a way that these themes were playing out in your life or um showing up that way oh that's such a fun question um I think when I was writing this I felt like I was really like chasing some answers like I wanted to know how um how to be a figure like this who who can hold a world as they move through the world and I wanted to know how to um, be somebody who is receptive to those figures. I think especially like, um, as a researcher and as I'm not, I'm not in an academy anymore. Um, but as somebody at the time who was doing a lot of, um, you know, critical race research and your theory research, it was a lot of encounters with like the other, um, a lot of encounters 
through, you know, books and theory with people who had really different experiences than me and really different worldviews. And so I think I was really interested in how do I best come to those encounters and how do I best, you know, stay open to being changed by them. Um, so that felt like a really urgent question to me. And, and I think it still is. Um, but it was really, really fun to be kind of chasing that personal question as I was writing. Um, it didn't feel like I had any answers as I was, um, you know, in the process. And I think that's, that's how my writing always feels for me. I don't know what the next sentence is. And I feel like I'm always like looking for something and I'm, I'm chasing a question down the road. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, we have like shared that you're Aquarius rising. Um, if you don't mind me sharing to your son, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I like Sun and Sagittarius. I like really feel that energy from you. And it sounds like you live in and create a really fun and spacious, magical world um, where you're able to have all of these different experiences and collide with different worlds and have like a, there's like a romantic friction to that. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, it often feels like my creative projects do feel like they feel destabilizing for me, not, um, I guess just, yeah, in a mental way, in the way that we've been talking about, um, it feels like I am, yeah, very Sagittarius, always chasing, like, I'm going to be different at the end of this. um, And I want to get there. I want that, you know, unanswerable answer. Um, And I think I have had to learn how to like temper that a little bit because it gets, it gets kind of exhausting and you have to learn how to take breaks and you have to learn how to be um, okay where you are with not having the answers that you need. I don't know. Does writing mm-hmm. feel like that at all for you? Yeah, I feel like every time I'm working on a project, uh, teaching, um, research, that it alters my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the theme that I'm studying enters my subconscious, but also like I feel like the universe knows that I'm on a quest Mm -hmm. and it gives me experiences to help me understand the quest I'm on. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think, I don't take research topics that lightly. (laughs) Like I'll do the thing that's coming through if it feels true. But sometimes, you know, like if I were to be like, I'm going to think about Chiron for a year, you know, I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. a really heavy assignment. (laughs) Am I prepared? You know, (laughs) Um, and I think that it's not, it's not even just about, oh, what I'm paying attention to. I literally think the world around me changes Mm. depending on what I'm researching. Mm. So it's like an enchanted storybook. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. Um, yeah, I love that. I definitely feel like that too. And I really like that idea of like being a little bit careful about like the assignment you choose to give yourself. Um, yeah. And I don't know, lately I've been feeling a little bit, um, I've just been feeling a little bit of grief about the experience of of um, not having the answers yet and of like needing to needing to chase down the path. Um, and I don't know. I'm yeah, I'm curious how that's going to play out, because I know that, you know, grief for me, it's always something's moving. Um, but I don't know. I guess I just wanted to share that as as part of the experience that I don't think I've ever had before being like, it's fun to run down the path, but Oh, there's some grief about, about having to do it. Yeah. It feels like the cycle of like knowing and confusion Mm. or knowing and not knowing Mm. the pursuit or not having the pursuit and just, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. (laughs) Um, this has been brilliant. I'm so, I just really am enjoying talking to you and appreciate all of your genius and insight that you're sharing with us. Um, how can people connect with you? Yeah, this has been so fun. I'm really having a delightful time too. Um, so I have a website newly. Um, it's gracewebcreate.com. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is G-G-R-A-C-E-E-W-E-B-B. Are there any, um, like, projects, events, like anything you want to share with us? Not really. Not coming up. But I can, I'm always available. I do workshops. Um, you can send me 
an email through my website about that. Um, I love being on podcasts. And yeah, just I'm very open to collaborate. Yeah, I'm sure you have like a wealth of knowledge about so many things, including the non-traditional styles of relating, non-monogamy. And you mentioned, you know, what you teach at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really loved talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. This library contains several hours of content about the intersection between kind of create your reality teachings and astrology. And it includes one of my favorite talks I've ever given called Leo and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. Thank you so much for listening. Your reviews really support the growth of this podcast, as well as your word of mouth when you share this podcast with friends or post it to your stories on Instagram and tag me at Sabrina Monarch. Thank you so much. Thank you.